Hello friends, it's time to drop the needle on another episode of Supersonic Chat. This is the music podcast full of debate, jousts, thought experiments, all done in the name of entertainment. I'm Adrian Warhope. And I'm Leon Laureau. Adrian, as the keeper of the questions and the crafter of the conundrums, what provocative treats have you planned for us today, sir? Leon, today we're going to tackle the abomination the thing that shall not be named, that of which we shall not speak, <laughs> the album that has been labelled the worst album in the world, <laughs> Metallica's Lulu. When you set, sent me a, a bit of a recommendation to listen to this, I was not prepared for what I was going to hear. It was it, the first time for you to hearing oh this album, wasn't God. it? I thought it was a song and uh, that, that they did together and then it turned out to be an entire like 90 minutes or something of 10 just- tracks, 90 minutes of Metallica and Lou Reed. Now, for those listening at home, we are going to, I'll give you a little intro about Metallica's and Lou Reed's album, Lulu. And then I'll pitch a thought experiment at my friend Leon here. And yeah. then we're going to talk about collaboration. Why, what is the point of it? Does it work? Etc. Here we go. Strap yourself in because I wanted to tell you that in 2009, Lou Reed and Metallica joined together at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame 25th anniversary shows to induct someone into the Hall of Fame. I think it was Lou Reed. And they played a version of Velvet Underground's classic Sweet Jane. And it's not too bad. You know, James yeah. shows mad respect for Lou at the, in the YouTube video. The crowd loves Lou. Kirk um, Hammett, as always, is distinguished on guitar and his guitar playing is yeah. um, exemplary. Lars is still a kid banging pots <laughs> that can't find a groove. He's just got such a baby face that day. And, and, and Lou's having fun and being Lou and, they, and, they, and I, you know, it's all good. Now, of course, I saw that and was triggered by thinking about the album Lulu because after they experienced this collaboration, they went on and made this album. It's called Lulu. It was released in 2011. Listen to this. It is based on two works by German playwright Frank Wiedekind and it had this experimental avant-garde feel. And that is not two words that you associate with Metallica, right? No, absolutely not. <laughs> so... You do associate Lou Reed, yes. Lou Reed, yeah. okay. This is the guy that has done some very bizarre and very uh, experimental stuff. Yeah. And his fans, I think, were, were open to it. So David Bowie actually told Lou Reed's widow, Laurie Anderson, that it was Lou Reed's masterpiece and his greatest Whoa. work. What, what this album was? This album. <laughs> okay. okay. This, this album to me sounded like if you went to a really ordinary rock concert and some hobo was annoying you by trying to talk at you the entire time. I wish you tie me up and beat me crush me like a kick a bleeding strap across my back They, the two sounds did not, did not match 
at all. Like it was like two separate, completely separate things playing simultaneously. A masterwork? Yeah, right. Metallica's <laughs> fans agreed with you. Metallica's fans who knew Metallica's work inside and out. 2011, I think they put out St. Anger and then it was sometime after yeah, that they came Stanger. out with this. Yep. And so they hadn't, they, you know, they were doing Metallica things and their yeah. fans who are crazy and just listen to Metallica 24 yeah. seven went, yeah. this is an abomination that we shall never speak of again. And on Spotify, yeah. I had a look like Lulu gets 200,000 streams. And whereas, you know, um, enter Sandman has nearly three quarters of a billion streams. Whoa. Like, whoa, like that, whoa. that's the, that's the difference between whoa. the fans experience here. Fans are just going, no, no, we do not accept this. We send yeah. this back to the shop. We will never speak <laughs> of this. We just wipe this from our memories. What, what are you talking about? Lulu didn't happen. Yeah. So, with all of I'm this, trying to, right? I'm trying to wipe it from my memory. It was, it was terrible. I could listen. only, I could only bring myself to listen to about a minute and then skip ahead a little while and go, okay, what's next? Oh, oh my man. God, it gets worse. The self-flagellation of you, dear worshippers. We do like you, Regal. We do like you, Harding. We do love to look upon your perfect body. The hair on your shoulders, the smell of your armpit, the taste of your... Yeah. I'm going to try and defend this piece of thing in a moment. Oof, good luck. I'm going to defend this. But before we get to that... Can I counterattack? You, uh, please. <laughs> this, is a, this is a tough position that I've drawn. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. This is a tough position. You know, um, before I get, I get to this, let me throw today's thought experiment at you. And that is this. Given the strong reaction of both yourself, of fandom of pitchfork, of critics, of music people listening everywhere saying that this was the worst album ever made. Yeah. Lars Ulrich actually said, told Spin, that the fan reaction was much more spiteful than anyone was prepared for. Whoa. What would you say if given the time over again, would these two artists make this album? Knowing their egos, probably yes. They'd probably go, nah, they'd probably just double down and go, nah, this is this is like arty. But like I think they'd definitely give it a second thought. I reckon they'd definitely think again. Um, particularly Metallica. I know. agree. Yeah, I reckon they'd probably go, oh mm, maybe not. But but at the same time, like, you know, hindsight's 2020, right? Yep. Absolutely. So. <laughs> and, and you can't artists, know whether it's gonna you know? work. You can't know. It could have been absolute magic. It could have been, could probably have been. not, could, probably could not, but it could, you know, who knows? Strange, stranger collaborations have happened. They have, and we'll, we'll get there on that. But um, listen, I think that they would make this record. I think there are two massive egos here from artists that just go, we just want to make stuff and we don't yeah. really care what you think. Yeah. And in the studio, uh, as the sort of um, the, the, um, the things were rippling out into the the zeitgeist that this was happening, that this album was yeah. getting recorded. You yeah. know, there was talk that James Hetfield and Lars were in the studio crying tears of pride, saying, this is the greatest <laughs> thing. This is incredible. Really? Yeah. Like they all thought this was amazing. Here's, here's my pitch. I think they would make it. Probably Ed Wood probably thought of that about his films as well. <laughs> 
you gotta believe in what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know for sure. Listen, if you haven't heard it, the, the album is full of Lou Reed's crotchety, atonal, poetic ranting. Yeah, he, he sounds is, pretty past it. Which is wholly incompatible with yeah. Metallica's <laughs> fidgety riffage. Yeah, fully. And and James Hetfield just. Uh, every now and again, screaming in the background, doing his "Oh yeah" with whatever the whatever the <laughs> yeah, know, chorus might be. I, I know it's very strange and it's like it's it really it almost sounds like they're just doing they're so confident with themselves that they don't even respond to each other no it just, in, it's almost like know, two different things yeah. shouting over each other yeah 100 percent. something in like. the left channel something in the right channel look i ran it through start to finish the other day and oh, it wasn't it wasn't as bad as what I thought, but I had to do some serious reframing and preparation in my head. Listen, Blabbermouth, the Blabbermouth website called this a catastrophic failure on almost every level. <laughs> I agree with that. Like 100%. this is strong stuff. However, um, they were saying, Lou Reed did say that this is for people who are literate. And I think. Yeah, I agree. Extremely experimental. You know, very experimental. Like here, here is my here, the hey, two things I, I want to say. I love experimental. Yes. I love experimental. But I love experimental where the the different experimental elements hang together. Like this is like an experiment that you do that doesn't work, and you go, well, okay, this didn't work. Why didn't it work? Let's make it work. Yeah. You know, it's like when you experiment, sometimes you it, you really it doesn't work. Mm, so yeah. Then you rethink it and you you try again, <laughs> but they just didn't. <laughs> yeah. Look. Couple things. One, this was marketed um, as an absolute mass market, mass consumption masterpiece of two colossal artists coming together. The marketing was like, "Get it into you. This is incredible." I think they needed to do this much, take fifty steps yeah. back, just yeah. put out a couple of interesting collaborations, and um, market it differently. And I would point to the album post pop depression which is an Iggy Pop record that he put out yep. in 2016 or something which is a, a strong collaboration an amazing collaboration with Josh Homme um, and some other guys but yep. it's marketed as an Iggy Pop record and I think that but but on the front cover are the four artists that are collaborating one of which is yeah. Josh Homme and, and Iggy Pop if you marketed this as a Lou Reed album and Metallica's yeah. ego took a rain check and just stepped yeah. back a little bit yep. and were just proud to be associated with it and it was released as a Lou Reed experimental record, you know, I think the reception yeah, would work. be a little more interesting. There's like, there's a, there's a um, Dave Lombardo um, drum, you know, drum of yeah. Slayer. Slayer. He, he drummed along to some Vivaldi on a collaboration. Classical and artist, Four Seasons. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it, he, he, um, I can't remember what the album was called. I think it's called a chance meeting or something like that. Right. And, and he just, paired back paired it right back there was no sound of metal drumming at all it was just really great drumming over the top and sensitive drumming and sometimes very stripped back and empty drumming that was over the top and it just completely complemented the music 
That would be interesting. It's um, so interesting. You need to listen and you need to work in. There's some, it, the, the Lulu album is like oil and water that is struggling to mix. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you shake it up and it tries to mix and then it just separates again. Yeah. Yeah. I guess there is moments where you go, oh yeah. And then you go, no. Nah. <laughs> listen, the track pumping blood got me interested. I would probably never listen to this album again, but it got me interested. The track, The View, which was the one they went out with, is You're an a brave abomination. man to listen to it from start, start to, to finish. finish. 90 minutes oh, man. of atonal poetic ranting from Lou Reed and just weird riffage of the metal flavor from Metallica. Strange. So, now, I couldn't listen to it and I enjoy listening to Pure Noise. Yeah. Especially right. after our desirable noise episode yeah. the other yeah. week. <laughs> right. I love to listen to really difficult stuff, but it was yeah, it was just unlistenable to me. Well, I just want to throw this at you. Yeah. Listen to this. You'll appreciate this. And this is where I'm coming from. I don't know a lot about Lou Reed. So I just went like, what the hell is this? And I looked back at Lou Reed, you know, Lou Reed of Transformer, Lou Reed of Walk on the Wild Side, um, yeah. of, you know, who had breakthrough stuff, but it was very experimental. In 1975, he made an album called Metal Music Machine. It consists. Yeah, I've heard of this. Yeah, I've seen the cover. I'd never knew what it was about. Get this, India. Four songs, one hour in length. The album features no songs or even recognizably structured compositions. Yeah. It totally eschews melody and rhythm for modulated feedback and guitar effects oh, at varying sounds, speeds. That sounds something that I'd be, be really into. It's a hard listen. Yeah, it, is it is just like. Someone trying to tune an untunable radio for one hour. And he put it out. It was critically panned and it really cost him his credibility. In the liner notes, he actually says something like, I have invented heavy metal and this album is the conclusion of the genre or something like that. Right, 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 yeah. So you're coming from a guy who just is experimental and does not give us stuff. Yeah. He just wants to make, I don't know if if Metal Music Machine was a piss take or an actual serious art experiment. Yep. But there is a number of jarring oddities in his catalogue. He made an album called The Raven, which is a double album take on Edgar Allan Poe short stories. He did right. a Tai Chi soundtrack called Hudson River Wind Meditations. <laughs> really? Yep. He had this thing called Time Rocker, which is an avant-garde theatre adaptation of H.G. Wells' A Time Machine. Like, do, Whoa, do you know man. what I'm getting? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He's, he's ambitious. And here, And here is where today's, I think. So I think, yes, they should absolutely do it. Because... Who needs another 20 Metallica? We do. We like Metallica. Metallica will do their thing till the day they stop doing their thing. Fine. Their fans will love it. But Metallica probably want to experiment. They probably want to collaborate. They probably want to step out and try new things and get Mm. out of their zone, their rut, their channel. And Lou Reed, who's a guy they admire, why not? Get in. Make this album Lulu. Market it a bit different. Maybe tighten it up, edit a little, whatever. But collaboration is really important to art, artistic merit and artistic exploration and well, artistic creativity. Visual artists do it all the time. Like the, the, the constantly. Really? The, the, yeah. Well, for example, there's a couple of Australian artists called Claire Healy and Sean Cordero. Okay. And they're husband and wife. And they basically, they always collaborate when they make art. 
and they don't really make art by themselves as much. They just they just what's their collaborate. medium? Uh, well, m- more like conceptual art and, and sculpture and stuff like that. I, like okay. I'll describe one that that really affected me that I saw at the Biennale of Sydney, and it was um, that they oh actually I don't know if it was at the Biennale. Anyway, it was an, an event that they host they hosted at Carriage Works at one stage, and they had lots and lots of people come around, and they had like three thousand six hundred oysters or something like that. It was a great big picnic that everyone got to get and eat a bunch of oysters and drink some beer. And then they fun. took all those yeah, and then they took all those oyster shells, and then they like put them into a furnace, and then turned them into lime, and then they turned all those oysters, they crushed them all up, and and made a block of cement out of the oyster shells. Right. Um, because that's precisely what the um, early English settlers did with Aboriginal middens. Yes, they t- they just took these enormous middens that they'd, they'd um, you know been making for thousands of years and just yeah. went, "We'll have all those shell- those useless shells. Thanks. We'll make cement out of them." And all yep. all those early buildings in Sydney are made at the expense of those middens and that this tiny block of cement that was made out of these thousands of oyster shells shows you the extent of how many um shells must have been crushed to make to make a building or something right it's it's like it's mind-boggling you think what like this huge pile of oyster shells makes this tiny block of cement and you just go you just understand the scale straight away and these guys do this sort of stuff all the time, like taking old houses and making okay. piles out of, of the high, like disassembling the house and making a little pile out of it, and and showing scale and showing truth and stuff. It's it's really like cool. I get that 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 they're working together in a partnership, like a duo. It's like a band that's a duo. Yeah. Do they make art singularly on their own no. as separate people? No. And Gil- like- Gilbert and George, English artists, they don't either. They never they never make art themselves, only together. So I guess, yeah, it's collaboration, but but I guess like if you were a duo, right? Let's just say you're a duo, you're the White Stripes, you're yeah. the Polish club in Sydney or, or the Black Keys, you're a duo. Um, and you make, you're making three or four or five critically acclaimed albums or you're having a career and you're doing your thing. At some point, I think you either need to step out and go, let's work with Lou Reed. Let's work with an electronic <laughs> producer. Let's get. Yeah. Let's work with um, uh, uh, something different that will help us expand, explore, and get out of our normal routine of crafting yeah. songs. Get out of your comfort zone. Get out of your comfort zone. It might be a pile of absolute steaming turds, <laughs> but I think that what comes next might be the fruit of breaking down the shackles of, of yeah. the zone that you sort of confined yourself to. And I guess yeah. that's and- the point. That's like, I guess, separate to like uh, artists that'll have like another artist featured. That's not a collaboration. It's like when you, when you're in it together with the same, uh, the same um, commitment to a particular creation. Yeah. You bring what you do because I like what you do. It's interesting to me. I'll bring what I do and let's just see if we can use the, the alchemy of that to make gold. You know, yeah, yeah. Whatever offering you've got, whatever I've offering I've got, let's. I want to see how you do your stuff. I'll show you how I do my stuff. Maybe we'll find a new way forward. The I, I muse might come in a different way to us, and we create birth something yeah. new and fresh and interesting. I guess that's the um, essence of um, like a, a supergroup. Yeah, absolutely. I think these guys who are incredible musicians go. Let me, I want to stay in this band. I'm not breaking up a band, but I want to get some other guys together and do something fresh and interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a perfect circle, for example.
Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, I know I know it's Maynard um, from Tool. Who yeah. else is in a perfect circle? Um, it's, it's definitely got James Earhart from Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, yeah. And a few other guys who've worked in a bunch of other bands as well. I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but there's it's they're all working in different bands. Got it. And, and the idea of a super group is something fresh and interesting. You know, I think of them Crooked Vultures, which is Josh Homme, Dave Grohl, yeah. and John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin. Yeah, or Audio Slave. Uh, uh, fantastic example. I was, um, I was thinking about Audio Slave's name, actually. It's kind of like the name Audio Slave is so, sort of like the, a cross between Sound Garden, like the audio bit, yep. and then the Slave bit is kind of like the Rage Against the Machine theme. Yeah, it works. It's <laughs> like good. It's, it is. It's, it's good. good. Man, um, and yeah, they sound good. Really good. We think about Rage Against the Machine. I don't know if Zach, the lead singer, he wanted to go off and do a solo thing. Whatever yeah. happened there, there was still this tight unit of, of um, you know, the three guys from Rage Against the Machine making the noise. And Chris yeah. Cornell, obviously wanting, he tried solo stuff. He did a record with Timberland, uh, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. But then this opportunity came up. They made some really good stuff. Two or three really great records. Yeah, um, yeah. That stand or, up. Or Tomahawk, right? And and how does that sound that the Jesus Lizard has in the guitar, coming in with the sound of Mike Patton's voice, and then like the John Stanier kind of drums. Oh, oh yeah, it is just the greatest combo. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, I think that. Let me throw a couple more supergroups at you. Listen to this sure. one. Listen to this one. Yeah, the Traveling Wilburys. Boom. You don't know who they are, do you? I do not know. In the late eighties, no idea. All right, listen this to this. They had a massive smash hit um, in the late nineteen eighties. Um, Won't back down um, was was the big big song. But it is a supergroup that consists of Bob Dylan. Oh. George Harrison of the Beatles. What? Jeff Lynne of ELO. Roy <laughs> Orbison and Tom Petty. Get out. Absolutely true. That's and crazy. Roy Orbison passed away after they made the first record and then it kind of fizzled out. But it was, yeah. it had to, it is a fantastic record. It is country, adult, middle of the road rock, but you've got. Bob Dylan, Dylan singing yeah. a verse. You've got George Harrison singing a verse and playing. Jeez. It is, and then Roy Orbison with his distinctive voice. But does it voice. work? It absolutely works. It's very late 80s, but it is a fantastic record. And you think about all those guys. They don't need money. They don't need fame. They don't need credibility. They don't need, if anything, the only way is down to like sort of lose, put out something like Lulu and lose credibility. Yeah. But here is the essence of collaboration. There is an ache in an artist's heart, I would imagine, to create 
to make something. And after a while, you need fresh inspiration. I don't know if you get bogged down, you're in a rut, you use the same tools, the same thought patterns. Yeah, yeah. Bob Dylan calls up George Harrison, who calls up Roy Orbison and Tom Petty and goes, hey, guys, you want to get together and just see what happens? Wow, man. That's, that is nuts that that happened. Yeah, absolutely nuts. <laughs> Go and have a listen. It is, it is excellent. I'm probably uh, going to hate it. You probably I, will. But I'm, but I'm probably going to be able to hear that it's good. Take, take it in the spirit in which they're delivering this. Yeah, it's, just, yeah. it's just five guys making music who just yeah. happen to be the top of their game, incredibly yeah. famous with a wonderful legacy. Yeah, yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. There are three records I wanted to talk about just, you know, about collaboration that I think are great examples too. If I sure. can, you know. Yeah, go for it. The first one is one that we've talked about often on this podcast, which is Johnny Cash in, oh, yeah. in the 90s. He's... Um, an artist that Rick Rubin, super producer, um, thought had been unfairly written off by the music industry and time had sort of worn Johnny mm, Cash mm, down and mm-hmm. he'd had some problems and relapse of drug addictions. And Rick Rubin approached him and said, let's do some stuff. And they created a series of albums that were a wonderful, I think, true collaboration between two artists bringing what they do and making gold. Yeah that brings something fresh and new opens up a new audience to, to people. I, I listen to Johnny cash because of that. What's great about that, that album is that it, it, it doesn't have any sense that it's a gimmick. True. Absolutely true. And it, and it treats the artist with respect because yep. Rick Rubin um, holds him in high esteem and works together with him and probably just helps encourage Johnny cash to expand his horizons. In the, on the first album, they do a Glenn Danzig, a Danzig track on the first yeah. album. Bad luck wind been blowing at my back I was born to bring trouble to wherever I'm at Johnny Cash would have gone, what's Who's Danzig? <laughs> so you open up this whole new horizon to a, to an artist and create something new um, and, and vital. And I thought Johnny Cash would have been revitalized, renewed by this wonderful collaboration. Yeah. There's another great record from 2004. Now this is a country album, but um, hear me out. So yeah, <laughs> my least favorite right? genre. Do you know, do you know Loretta Lynn, no. um, the coal miner's daughter? She's probably no. one of the most famous female country singers of all time. There's a movie made, an Oscar-winning movie called Coal Miner's Daughter about her, you know, going from small town somewhere, very poor, dirt poor, escaping and, and, and making amazing country music. Right. So she's like 74 years old in early 2000s. Uh, uh, and Jack White of the White Stripes, he's a big fan. And he approaches her and says, do you want to collaborate? And they make an album called Van Leer Rose. Now you pick it up and on the cover, there's this, you know, gorgeous... 74-year-old, 72-year-old woman in this wonderful blue gown holding this awesome country-looking uh, guitar in front of a wonderful country um, sort of estate. And what follows is an album which is Loretta Lynn, but is also Jack White. Uh, 
and it isn't it's got country but it's got alt rock and it's got um you know that white stripes vibe mm. and jack white duets with her on a couple of tracks and i think he really pushes loretta lynn and makes something which is uh just brilliant it was really widely praised it peaked at number two on the on the billboard top country charts 24 on the main chart she won um grammys for it um it's absolutely brilliant it's like it shows how two approaches complement each other um and the record captures the essence of loretta lynn um even though it shows flourishes that are distinctly jack white which i think is what lulu doesn't do i think lulu is two people just crashing into each other i'm just thinking do do you think that maybe things like lulu got just got overthought a little bit and maybe maybe a lot of a lot of these things that do work they go hey Let's see what happens. Not, hey, let's go and make this thing that's about this um, piece of literature and, you know, I'll do my thing and you do your your thing. It'll all just, it'll be fine. Don't worry, it'll work out really well. They just sort of overthought it but, like, didn't allow any, maybe they just didn't, it just doesn't sound like they allowed any spontaneity or or, um, electricity to happen between them. Yeah, I agree. Um, So I think think there's something to be said about um, about not not knowing what's going to happen and just, doing it yeah uh i think so and then i guess yeah and then presenting you know with sort of kid gloves what comes out and going we think this is fun we think it's good and yeah you know maybe they were yes men in the lulu studio just going guys this is like this is unreal (laughs) it's look it's challenging and interesting lulu and you reframe it as a as a lou reed experimental album yeah and it's interesting it's challenging then there are bits there that i think are kind of curious to me there are some stuff that doesn't work that are oil and water and just shouldn't yep. happen. The, just the third collaboration, which I think works is Luke Steele from the Sleepy Jackson Australian uh, award-winning alternative um, indie band and Nick Littlemore from Paniao, who were a award-winning electronic artist. They collaborated and made um, a complete new project called Walking on a Dream. And that's gone on to international success, many albums. And I think when they they came together, um, they made something fresh, new and vital because they collaborated, broke each other out of their zones and made something wonderful. Well, you think about it though, every band is essentially a collaboration. Yeah. Like every band is just musicians collaborating. Like if you get any band, there's, each musician is is a musician in their own, own right with different flavors and sounds. Every band is a collaboration of sorts. You're right, but I know there are those dictatorships where one artist comes in with a strong vision yeah, and goes, true. "You will play this baseline. The drumming should be like that." You know, <laughs> yeah, people who right? are probably virtuosos themselves who plays lots of different instruments and stuff like that. Yeah, and there's some some ego there, but look, yeah. You know, I, I think that why people would collaborate is that the muse comes in different shapes and forms. I think when people think that they are responsible for the glory of their art, they, they are doomed to failure. I think they need yeah. to channel their inspiration. Um, and when that kind of dries up, they can tap into other people, other forms, other channels and go, hey, how do you write songs? How yeah. do you make electronic music? Yeah. Let's get together and just see what happens. 
Yep, yep. And and sort of like, um, you know, when Daniel Johns and, and Paul Mack got together and did that thing, like totally the disparate styles. Yeah, totally yeah. disparate styles and that kind of, that worked quite well. That is a wonderful example. And do you know what? Daniel Johns made an album with Luke Steele, um, yeah, which was interesting and, and wasn't as successful, but, but I think was fresh and interesting as well. Um, but I think that's sort of that constantly pushing yourself out of your, out of your comfort zone to try and to try and do something that's a little um, just, just to evolve as you, as you create anything, it, whether it be, whether it be art or music or, or writing yeah. or anything, you've got to, you've got to push yourself um, further than what you, otherwise you end up risking becoming a bit of a parody of yourself. Like what worked before, uh, I'll just do that again. And like, you know, do it better. Like, amp they turn up the volume on on what i did before yep you know you get these wonderful albums and then five albums down the track you've just got a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy yeah. which is like <laughs> really guys it's out yeah, of focus i think i think yeah <laughs> i think collaborate uh, collaboration is definitely a way to short circuit that that danger zone of doing oh, i like that thing. yeah i like yeah. that a lot short circuit yeah just, plug into a different input uh-huh uh-huh and yeah, I, I like I do that same sort of thing with my art. Like, and then I try something different, but, but you know, paint paint in a different way or, or something like yeah. that. It probably doesn't stick, but it adds then to to what I already do. I remember you saying in a previous podcast that sometimes yourself or people would, as artists, would go to a um, museum or an exhibition or or use other artists and try and paint in that style yeah. as a way of yeah. kickstarting. Some, yeah. some creative juices yeah because you can see what they've done you can see the the strokes and the the, the marks that they've made and so you, you sort of try and emulate that yourself and, and yeah that that sort of just adds to the layers of of your understanding and i and think that's maybe sort of when uh, musicians collaborate they're they're sort of not taking the other style but just allowing that other person's style to filter through their own understanding. Yeah. I, I really like that. Um, and, and as we sort of wrap this up, I think about well, how do you measure success in music? Because it's not in sales yeah. or in likes or in fan feedback. Yeah. It's got to be in the satisfaction of the artist with their art. And Lulu may have been um, something <laughs> that was not well received, but if it, if it freed up Metallica to scratch an itch, and then come True. back with something great. And and Hardwired, um, uh, the last album, Hardwired, I forget the rest of the name of the title, was was really good. Um, but so if, very memorable then. Very. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, really no, memorable. No, um, if we listen to Metallica, then it'd be great. You know, we'd yeah. Love it. Correct, but but I guess if it frees up Metallica to scratch an itch and get the creative juices flowing, and something down yeah. the line is a result of that, fantastic. You, yeah, you don't know what's gonna. Even if through failed experiments, you don't know what's gonna what's gonna happen as a result of those failed experiments. So I think Metallica, Lou Reed, make Lulu again. If you get in that time traveling machine, make Lulu again because just I'm don't sure. Make any, just don't make anyone else listen to it. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> Maybe drip it out in small different well-presented marketing slabs, yeah. but you know, yeah. I think Lulu stands as a testimony of experimentation and collaboration between yeah. two great artists who don't care whether you like it or not. And yeah. I would like to think they had the time of their life making it and would do it all over again if they had the chance. Nice. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I've got a fact of the week for you, sir. No, tell me. Lou Reed had a jazz show in college 
on college radio. And he was thrown off it because he belched during a public service announcement about muscular dystrophy. <laughs> Fact of the week. Did he, did, he, did he accidentally leave his mic on or something? Who knows? Lou Reed, oh, he, probably, he was probably starting his experiments back then. <laughs> that is a good fact. This has been another great episode of Supersonic Chat, all about collaboration. I hope you liked our thought experiment. Let me know if you think Metallica and Lou Reed should make Lulu all over again if they had the chance. <laughs> Hit us up on the socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Supersonic Chat. Send us an email with your thoughts, supersonicchat at gmail.com. And also, if you like what you hear, give us a couple of minutes and give it a recommend to other people by giving us that fantastic rating on Apple Podcasts. Give us that five stars. It helps people get, it helps us get seen. You better believe it. That was a really good episode. We'll see you again next week. Next week.